Hello, this is Jessie Sletton from Empowering Postpartum, and welcome to the Spanglish World Networks on Zingo TV, Channel 250 and 251. Please remember to download both the Zingo TV app on the respective app stores on iOS and Android devices. While you download, make sure to rate and leave a comment. The app is totally free. Zingo TV is also available on Google Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Fire TV Sticks, Roku, Roku Sticks, and on all smart TVs 2016 and forward. Hello, hello. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Empowering Postpartum with me, Jessie Sletton, your postpartum empowerment coach, helping you feel confident, prepared, and holistically supported for your unique journey into parenthood. And today I am joined by pediatric sleep specialists Paige Legault and Lindsay Birchfield, the founders of Parenting Practice of Colorado. And we're going to be talking about how getting sleep with a baby is possible. So good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. I would love to kick off this episode with you introducing yourselves and just sharing a little bit about what you do and how you help new and expecting parents. Yeah, thank you, Jesse, for having us. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So we are pediatric sleep specialists, and that just means that we help families from pregnancy all the way through 12 years of age get their little ones to sleep peacefully through the night in a gentle manner, and that can look different just depending on their age ranges. Um, and we are so passionate about sleep. We've done all these models with our own kiddos and they're fantastic sleepers. And so we really believe that sleep is a pillar of health that we all deserve to have no matter what stage of parenting we are in. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. Do you have anything to add, Lindsay? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the story of how we came to be here as pediatric sleep specialists started over four years ago now, which is just crazy. Wow to think. And Paige and I actually met when we were working on getting our certification to become pediatric sleep specialists. And when we met each other at our certification, we just instantly hit it off. And so we're both from Colorado. And so we connected. And after we were certified, we actually started our own businesses. And we were both in Colorado doing the work that we were, but we stayed in touch and we would lean on each other and we would throw cases around, talk to one another about things. And so now it's been over two years ago when we were talking and we finally said, why aren't we doing this work together? Right. We both (laughs) have this passion for sleep. We want to help more families. We're in the same state. We're good friends. And so two years ago, we came together and we both just have a very similar philosophy and a passion around sleep and the importance of sleep, especially in a parenthood journey and being a mother and, you know, for our children's sake. And like she mentioned, you know, personally, our children have gone through our programs and they're phenomenal sleepers. And we've reached, you know, we reap all the benefits of that. And we're just so much on the same page that we were so excited to be able to come together to help more families and really just, you know, prioritize sleep and help families get the sleep that they deserve. Because we truly believe, like Paige said, it's a pillar of health and we all need it to thrive both physically and mentally. Yes, I love that so much. It's actually one of the things that I also agree with as being one of those pillars of postpartum wellness. Um, and all wellness, right, in all stages of life, but um, especially for new parents, because, you know, we are going through such a 
journey of recovery, of healing, mm-hmm. of hormone regulation, right? They're all over the place because we're, we're transitioning from this pregnancy state to this postpartum state. And mm-hmm. we are perhaps we're breast or chest feeding. And so that also plays into it. And, you know, so much depends on quality rest, quality sleep. And so, mm-hmm. of course, how our babies are sleeping is going to impact how we as the birth giver are able to recover and sleep as well. And so I just I love that we are on the same page as far as, you know, sleep being this key foundational piece to wellness, um, especially for new parents and, and their babies. Um, and I love how you guys believe that sleep is truly accessible to everyone. And I'd love to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that because I think so often as new parents or expecting parents, that's one of the first things we get bombarded with by you know, people giving advice, which is not really advice. It's more snarky remarks that are like, well, doing it now, you know, like, good luck. Enjoy your sleep. Once baby's here. Right. And that's, that's so inspiring. Thank you for that. You know, and it's like, that doesn't have to be the reality. Right. And I think that it's really doing a disservice to newer parents or expecting parents because we're setting them up for failure. Right. And we're setting them Mm -hmm. up for settling for sleep deprivation and for just this, it's reality that you're not going to if you need. So I'd love to hear your perspective a little bit more on that, you know, sleep accessibility. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Jesse. Just you go anywhere, your baby shower, the grocery store, the library, and someone is going to give you some candid advice that just feels more like backhand Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little jab. I'm miserable, so you're going to be miserable with me. <laughs> and also, I think that for Lindsay and I, when we first got into this, we didn't understand the science of sleep or what the actual norm should be around sleep. Just because a majority of human beings are bad sleepers doesn't mean that that is normal, right? It's right. just accepted. And so our big philosophy is if we could meet our clients at the very beginning in the third trimester before that baby's even here, that is our goal because we would love to start by avoiding sleep training and like mm-hmm. healthy foundations in the fourth trimester. So that way there's no sleep debt. There's no long nights. There's no massive mountains that we have to cross over to get this child to finally connect into quality sleep and then clean up everything on the parents' hands. So we, when we started with our training and everything, we created our own program to then support those little babies when they come home from the hospital or they've birthed at home and and just start right there and create quality foundations that are easy to do regardless of home environment, how babies fed, colic, gas, reflux, Mm -hmm. all those fun things and just make it easy to get sleep right away for everybody. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Lindsay, yeah. do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it just really starts with education. And that's mm-hmm. what we're so passionate about yes. is just imparting education about the science of sleep, like Paige said. But what are some things that you can just start doing from day one that is, of course, not 
sleep training, but just laying those healthy sleep foundations so that you are allowing your child to get the sleep that they need. You're getting some sleep. Of course, it's understandable that a newborn is going to need to eat throughout the day and the night, right? Mm -hmm. And so sleep is going to be a little bit fragmented that way. But with time, right, we can start to get into a rhythm that allows for longer stretches of sleep during the night so that we all are just getting the rest we need as early as we can. Because it's, as Paige mentioned, right, when we have months and years of sleep deprivation and we're building up all of that sleep debt, that's when things really start to have that big impact mentally and physically on baby and on mom and dad as well, right, parents in general. And so we're just, we want to make sure that we are educating families that it doesn't have to be that way. And here are just some things we can start doing to really prioritize sleep from the beginning. I love that so, so much. I really, truly believe in my heart that so much of postpartum care and newborn care can be preventative through education. Right. I really like that's one of my philosophies as well is, you know, supporting postpartum and that transition from a preventative health standpoint, because if we are trying to address it after the fact, which it's never too late right, Mm -hmm. to address these problems. However, it's going to be a lot harder for us to rewire those brain connections, to understand and relearn these routines and Mm -hmm. prioritizing those things, right? It's just a little bit more of an uphill battle. And so by doing it before baby even arrives, learning the science behind, you know, sleep and how your newborn is going to be coming into this world and their biological patterns and and all those Mm -hmm. things, Knowledge is power and the same can be said about postpartum care, right? And how we understand our own physiological and biological shifts. We're not taught these things. We are not taught them at all. And so it's very difficult for us to find this information on our own. And so having the guidance and the support from professionals like you and for and for me and things like that, where we understand them, we can give you the tools to teach you. It's such a valuable thing to be able to mm-hmm. offer. And I would love for you guys to give me a little bit of a um, insight to some of those things that they can start doing and learning in pregnancy um, to help set those healthy foundations. If you wouldn't mind just sharing a couple of nuggets, I think that the audience would really love to get their hands on some of that. (laughs) Yeah. So in specifically in the fourth trimester, I think number one is getting a good latch or feeding Mm -hmm. rhythm, right? A hungry baby is not going to sleep. So first, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Resources, lactations, pediatricians, mm-hmm. things like that. Once you've got that, then creating day versus night, right? Babies mm-hmm. aren't born with circadian rhythms on. Their melatonin is not producing for a little bit. So they're getting that from you. And so they can get mixed up day versus night. And if anyone mm-hmm. has experienced that, it's it's brutal, right? Yeah. So oh yeah, <laughs> creating a beautiful space in the morning where we open the blinds, we have natural lighting, we're listening mm. to music, we're doing our normal flows, cooking, vacuuming, experiencing life as we would before baby comes to make sure they feel like, oh, it's daytime, let's make some cortisol and stay up a little bit, right? Mm. And then in that same tone is paying attention to the amount of sleep pressure a baby can have before they go back to sleep. So that would be an awake window. And what we've got to get done in that awake window is 
a change, a feed, and a little bit of play. So prioritizing, making sure that they're not up for more than 45 minutes and that you are doing a eat, play, sleep routine to help them with days and nights, good full feeds, and to get to enjoy a little bit of baby snuggles and one-on-one time, right? Yes, I love that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And another thing we really love, and we always say this is a thing that you can do from the first day you get home from the hospital, is starting mm-hmm. a bedtime routine, right? Mm-hmm. Bedtime routines are so important when you are a newborn, but they're even really important as an adult, right? So yes. bedtime <laughs> routines are something that we can lean into and really utilize for our entire life. And it can start mm-hmm. on day one when you're home with baby. And the bedtime routine for a newborn is going to look a little bit different, right, than it might look like for a toddler, a preschooler child, an adult. But mm-hmm. it's still a wonderful way to just help babies start to cue for sleep, to calm down, right, to mm-hmm. get drowsy and ready to to drift off into dreamland. And so those routines really at this age should be between about 30 minutes or so, right? It's going to include um, potentially a bath or even a wash down mm-hmm. of some sort, um, potentially some lotion, maybe a little bit of baby massage going on there. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to put them in their jammies, get them in their swaddle, sing a little bit of a song, mm-hmm. and then, you know, offering that feed as that last step, just because we want their little bellies to be full going into bed. So, yes. you know, in this age range, right through that that process, they might be getting drowsy. They may even fall asleep at that feed. Totally okay, right? We're not looking for independent sleep, right, with mm, a four-week-old, right. but just this process and doing it on a nightly basis is just really helping that child's body prepare for what's to come for a good night's sleep. Yes. I love that so much because it's really truly building those neural connections for them at the beginning, you know, because baby has so much going on in their brain, right? Like it is incredible how many neurons are in those little baby brains and they're going through that pruning process, right? They're like, what do we need to keep? What do we need to let go of? And so the stronger of an association that you're making with those sleep cues and feeding cues and all those things, you know, that are important, those are the ones that are going to stick, right? And so they're going to keep those ones, they're going to build those bridges for later on, for when they can develop maybe some more independence around their sleeping. Um, So I really love that idea. And it's so important to, like you said, for even adults to have these night rituals, right? Because that's going to cue our own body and our own brain to say, mm-hmm. okay, it's okay for me to start relaxing and start mm-hmm. drifting into yeah. a calmer state so that I myself can get that rest too. And baby's going to feed off of that, you know, like they really yeah. find a lot of their cues through mom and dad. And so mm-hmm. if we're calm and we're starting to get sleepy, they're going to mirror a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's super important from day one to develop these night rituals and night routines so that we can carry that through for life. So I really love mm-hmm. that that you yeah. mentioned that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so kind of on the topic of, you know, sleeping and making this possible and accessible mm-hmm. to everyone, I'm sure everybody is like, okay, let's talk about getting baby to sleep through the night, right? Because it seems like this mythical yeah. thing that everybody's like, sure, yeah, my baby <laughs> will sleep through the night, right? So let's talk about the reality around that, how we can like prepare ourselves mentally, you know, and realistically on how that would look um, mm-hmm. and just some tips and tricks you guys might have. Yeah. So the reality is a healthy baby who's great gaining weight, eating beautifully, developing normally 
can sleep through the night as early as 10 to 12 weeks of age. Wow. It's not a year. <laughs> um, we not or three years, like in my instance. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know this both personally and professionally. Out of all of our kids, we have three between the two of us. They all slept between eight and twelve weeks. We've got a little bit of a, a sleep unicorn over there. Overachiever. <laughs> But yeah. they were all fed differently. They were all born at different times. They all have their own sleep spaces. We've traveled. We've moved. We've done all the things, teething, illness, potty training, everything. And they are incredible sleepers. We never have to worry about them. And the coolest part is, is none of our children ever experienced long-term sleep debt. So that piece alone is if you are a new parent and you're in the trenches in your fourth trimester and you know this is something you want to prioritize, start with that bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. Once you've got that down and you've done it for like a week or two, then build on a next step. You want a habit stack so you don't Mm -hmm. flood yourself with too much work and then you just say, screw it, I'm not going to do anything. Right, (laughs) right, getting overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So start with that bedtime, and then from there, start setting a time every single day that you wake up at the same time. Again, we want to work with this cortisol, this melatonin, get sunshine in the first 10 minutes of the day to help with that vitamin D and cortisol levels, and then really protect them from getting overtired within those wake windows. So I would highly suggest tracking their sleep and understanding how much awake time is appropriate for each age range in Mm -hmm. that fourth trimester and beyond. It changes very rapidly between newborn and four months. You go from a 45 minute wake window to two, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So rest on that would be critical. And then again, I would definitely say using feeds for feeds and not intentionally using a feed to put baby to sleep mm-hmm. after four months of age. So following an eat, play, sleep rhythm, or even an eat, play, eat, sleep rhythm is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not a problem, but really it's watching your overtiredness, giving them the proper cues, like you had said, Jesse, and then following routines again to cue them when it's time to go down. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. So true. And I would definitely echo the overtiredness piece. That yeah. is, if we allow our newborns to get into an overtired state, that's one of the hardest things to manage. And what yeah. happens is that just builds up, right, month over month. And now we get to something like a four-month sleep regression, right, mm-hmm. and things become even more challenging. The other thing, too, in that fourth trimester that I think is important is that the goal should be to give your child opportunities to try to fall asleep on their own or independently. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that in that fourth trimester you need to be doing all the time. In fact, it's not possible, right? Newborns need assistance and help. But if we can provide different ways that a child may be falling asleep at the onset of sleep, so let's say maybe sometimes they fall asleep while they're feeding. Maybe sometimes they fall asleep with a pacifier in their mouth. Sometimes they fall asleep when mommy is holding them or in a stroller in a car. But guess what? Sometimes they get that opportunity to try to fall asleep in their bassinet or their crib. Mm-hmm. Doing that and swapping out what we like to call our sleep tools is a wonderful way to help a child from getting extremely attached to one 
association or tool for mm-hmm. falling asleep. And that's yeah. really where the magic happens is where they are getting these small opportunities to kind of learn what it feels like to fall asleep in different ways, as well as, as fall asleep on their very own. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that fourth trimester piece, right, you can really lean into the drowsy but awake. And I know a lot of families hear this concept of drowsy but awake. And it's a good concept to use in that first really eight to 10 weeks. After 10 weeks of age, it can actually cause more problems. But in mm-hmm. that first eight to 10 weeks, it's an opportunity to get your baby slightly drowsy into a bassinet or a crib, maybe put your hand on their chest, shush them a little bit and allow them to do the work of falling asleep. And there you've just given that small opportunity of falling asleep independently. And then Mm -hmm. from the fourth trimester on, we can continue to build on that. And that's really where all of this magic happens is in this independent sleep space or the ability to fall asleep independently. Because if they're doing it at the onset of sleep, when they come out of a sleep cycle, which we all do throughout the night, Mm -hmm. they have that opportunity to link it on their own. And guess what? With time and practice, that creates a consolidated night of sleep. Yes. I loved how you mentioned the, you know, don't overuse or get overdependent on one way to fall asleep. Because I feel like I see this a lot with the women and the and birth givers that I work with in postpartum where they say the only place they will sleep is on my chest. Right. Yeah. And so then I'm yeah. nap trapped all day or, you know, I can't go and do these things. So do you have any advice for giving parents who might be stuck in this scenario, right, where they're only sleeping one way and it's usually on a parent and so they feel trapped, right? Do you have any like words of advice or how to kind of give themselves permission to try these other things and really work on that uncomfortableness that can kind of creep up right in our own um, parenting guilt or, or, Oh, I can't let them cry. Cause it, you know, for me, I have to give my clients sometimes that permission to be like, it's okay to take a five minute bathroom break. Even if that means baby will be a little upset, go do that for yourself because you need to do that. Your basic self care is just as important as caring for your baby, right? And so those are kind of little things that we can work toward or work on, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, we too hear this all the time, mm-hmm. even all the way past the year of age. And mm-hmm. first off, if it's working for you, you don't have to make a change, right? No. It's okay to contact nap with your baby. Yes. When it's not working for you anymore and you're feeling rage, frustration, anger, resentment, it's time to make a change. It's okay to say, even though this works for my baby, it doesn't work for me and I need to change. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to do that as a parent and you should. That's being a parent, right? So I would suggest if you are in the fourth trimester, doing a couple of things to make their environment that you're trying to get them into, the bassinet, the crib, the mini crib, whatever, a little bit more enticing. So mm-hmm. taking their bassinet sheet, their jammies, their swaddle, tossing it into the dryer while we're doing bath with something that mom has worn frequently, a robe, a bath towel she's used in her hair a couple of times, or a T-shirt she's had on all week. Toss it into the dryer together for five to ten minutes and warm it up and then scent mark baby's sleep stuff. Then have Ooh, I love that. Yeah, have your partner or any other support system grab those items, replace them into the sleep environment, and 
air them out just a little bit. It doesn't need to be hot, just warm. And then when you get baby all snuggled in, they'll be warm. It'll smell like mama. They'll feel safe. They'll get a little bit of dopamine and oxytocin. And then you can support them into that bassinet, right? And it'll smell like mama. The other thing, too, is I would say don't be scared of their cries. Cries Mm -hmm. communication. And not every cry means I'm in danger. You need to immediately pick me up and soothe me down. Newborns are noisy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, they're learning their voice, man. They've been in, like, quiet utero for nine months. They want to let it loose. (laughs) Yes. And so babies... I think an important thing to note is in that fourth trimester, they don't have all four stages of the sleep cycle like we do or four Mm -hmm. month olds and up, which means a lot of their sleep looks different. Number one, they don't go into paralysis at all. That's Mm -hmm. why they move and escape the swaddle. They might whale tail their legs and slam their legs down wiggling head, sucking, things like that. They're protecting their airway and they're soothing. Number two, they only have deep sleep, which is stage three, and then REM. And so they go back and forth between those two, which is why transferring, feeding, naps on the go, movement naps, those all work beautifully because when they fall asleep, they are out. But they can wiggle and jiggle and they're going to have localization throughout that sleep again to keep that airway clear. Right. So number one, when they're transitioning out of that sleep cycle ending and into a new one, you are going to hear cute little noises, growling, cooing, grunting, groaning. There are so many more. You don't have to immediately jump up and feed the baby. It's okay to give them a two to four minute pause where you're sitting, observing, but non-interacting. And Mm -hmm. if they fully wake up, eyes open, looking around, crying, now it's time to give them some support. And that Mm -hmm. could be a feed, a -hmm. change, a pickup, a little bit of love in the sleep space. You Mm -hmm. have more options than just bringing them to the breast or the chest or the bottle. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think another big thing for the newborn or the fourth trimester phase is that swaddling can also be extremely helpful, right? Mm-hmm. So just as Paige mentioned, newborns are moving a lot, right? And they just have the moral reflex, the startle mm-hmm. reflex. Their bodies are just moving and grooving. Right. And that can be a way to truly wake them up often as well. So the concept of the that swaddle, right, is to help them feel again like they're in utero, right? It's mm-hmm. warm, it's cozy, it's restrictive in nature. And so that's another thing that we always love to suggest is, yes, there are some little babies out there that don't like the swaddle. My unicorn sleeper was one of them. She was like, Mm -hmm. no way. But for the vast majority of little ones, it's another really great way to help that child feel kind of compressed and tight and warm and snuggly and able to be put into a crib or a bassinet and to get some stretch of sleep at that point in time too. So we are very pro swaddle. We enjoy that. And I would also tack on to that, that if you have been swaddling with arms down, whether they're crossed, Mm -hmm. to the sides and baby escapes and they don't like it and it's a big battle, it's because in utero, their arms are up by their face. Mm -hmm. They can rub their hands in utero. They can rub their face. They can correct Mm -hmm. themselves, right? So having arms down doesn't feel safe. So Mm -hmm. when they wake up, they're going to startle and try to get those hands out and they get really angry. So try to find a couple of options 
to cycle out for three or four days in a row. And then you can figure out what your specific baby likes and stick with that. Yes, I love that. I wanted to mention it, too, when you were speaking, Lindsay, about, you know, each baby is going to have their own preferences, right? They're a a individual person, just like we adults are. And so Mm -hmm. learning their likes, their dislikes, it's a process, you know, and I think that so many of us when we are new first time parents, we just think it's going to like somehow download from the universe this maternal like instinct yeah. manual of how to care for baby, how to feed baby. Right. And then we have these huge like bouts of disappointment or guilt when we're like, we don't know what we're doing, you know, and it's like this scary thing where we expected to just know. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's a learning process. You're learning how to parent just like baby is learning how to live outside of your womb. Right. And they're learning how to latch. They're learning how to feed. It is a learning process. And so giving yourself permission and the grace to try different things but also do it in a way that's structured, like you said, Paige, where you were saying, like, cycle that out every three to four days. You want to give it a chance to see what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that advice because I think it's really important for us not to just settle on one way. Like, this is the only way that, you know, I can get my baby to sleep because experts say so or the baby books say so. Um, and then it's not working for your baby, you know. Change it up. Mm -hmm. If it's not working for your baby, follow their lead. Make sure you're checking in with your own self, what feels good for you as a parent, Mm -hmm. and really just giving it a go, right, and trying to Mm -hmm. do different things. And then that's where that support, I think, from people like you, from a coach like me, can really come in handy because we're getting that validation to these parents. And we're saying, it's cool. We can try something else. And then we're really just trying to help them brainstorm through this process, which I think everybody needs everybody needs that guidance and mentorship as a new parent because nobody knows what they're doing like it's okay we're all in that group together (laughs) we both felt that bringing home our babies every time we're like here we go (laughs) exactly i thought i knew what i was doing but yeah one needs something totally different right yeah they're all very unique they all have their own ways and needs for sure yeah exactly um i loved the tip about the dryer with the item that has mommy scent on it i i had heard the mommy scent one i've tried the um sheet thing where you put it in your shirt and you're walking around with it all day and then you put it back on you know and then i've heard the um i tried this with my son um the heating pad warming the space before you lay them down remove it obviously because you don't want that in there um when baby sleeps but that's another um kind of little trick that you can try to warm that sleep Mm -hmm. space up because they're going from warm and cozy to brr that's a cold sheet you know like i don't like this like it's gonna of course wake you up um so do you have any other like little tidbits like that that might be helpful um to um there's another good one with partner support so Mm -hmm. whoever the non-dominant parent is or carrier of baby um I felt this in my own journey and I see it all the time with clients but when we come home as moms and we make that transition from pregnant to postpartum Mm -hmm. we internalize and take over everything we don't want to give that baby to even our partner who we chose to have our baby with right we're very much nope (laughs) i'm good (laughs) i can Mm -hmm. do it all 
even if we're not, <laughs> and we right. really can do it all, right? <laughs> yeah. We feel like we have to do it all, and it mm-hmm. also doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. to pass over our baby when all those hormones yeah. are going crazy and PPD, right. PPA, everything, right? But try to allow your partner to come in on agreed upon support methods that mm-hmm. feel good and have been talked about beforehand. Yeah. So that way it feels safe and you feel supported and you get a break. And so I would suggest giving your partner, again, the mom's shirt that she's been wearing all day to just drape on a shoulder, wear, put over their back. So that way when they have baby and mom can go nap or shower or eat, we know that, again, that scent smell is there and we're creating that safety and security with our other partner. Yes, I love that. And something um, as a lactation consultant or counselor in my training, one of the tips that they had is a little milky, which can be like a little tiny, like lovey or on the blanket or shirt and just putting a little bit of milk on there. Um, if you are choosing to yes. chest or breastfeed, that can give that scent and that comfort there, too. And that can be really helpful and easy to wash. Right. Um, obviously, you don't want to just keep doing that uh, and using that same thing um, for a couple days in a row. But, yeah, a little spoiled and sour smelling, but um, yeah, the milk scent is great too. So that's another little thing that you can do. But Lindsay, yeah. do you have any yeah. other ideas or tips? Yeah. And kind of with the, on the theme of partner, right? We also mm-hmm. like to oftentimes to include partner in the bedtime routine. I know I'm yes. going back to bedtime routine, but mm-hmm. if, you know, once your supply is established, if you are breastfeeding, right maybe a couple of weeks after delivery your you know babies latch as well they're feeding well all of that if things are going in the right direction with that you're feeling comfortable sometimes mm-hmm. introducing just a bedtime bottle so one bottle of the day and allowing for a partner to be able to offer that bottle can just mm-hmm. be helpful for mom right you go through yep. bedtime routine mom can go to bed she can get mm-hmm. some rest right mm-hmm. partner can take over dad can take over offer that bottle to baby And that gives them a wonderful bonding time, right? I know personally for my husband, one of the things when we had our first was he just felt like he didn't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't know how to be involved. Like, how am I going to bond with this baby when mom has baby all of the time? And so Mm -hmm. that was a space where we came to an agreement on where we're going to allow dad to really own the bedtime routine. And what happened Mm -hmm. was he owned that bedtime routine for years. To be honest, Mm -hmm. he was the one taking that lead. My kids loved it. It was that opportunity for them to bond with dad. And Mm -hmm. so that's another space, too, where if you do have that non-dominant parent, you could plug them in in that bedtime routine. Again, if you're comfortable with offering a bottle and that can just be a beautiful opportunity for that, you know, for that non-dominant parent to bond and also give mom or whoever gave birth to the baby a little bit more time and rest so they can go and go to sleep and you know, nighttime feeds will come around, but we can get a a little bit more shut eye, right? Yes, I love that. Finding those solutions to maximize the sleep that you can get. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned, you know, really having that discussion and plan in place with your partner. That is one of the biggest things that I think we can start working on in pregnancy is really getting on the same page with our partner on how we're going to both shoulder that parenting load. And having those discussions on what's important to you, what's important to me, how do I want to be involved, how do I want to support you and the baby, how do you need to be supported, you know, and having these discussions in pregnancy 
really builds those communication, you know, just those systems of communication and making sure that it's open, it's um, vulnerable, it's, you know, something that we can really open our hearts to, to one another, to be able to be on the same page. Because so many times, and this happened with my own experience and my own entrance into motherhood, I assumed my husband was on the same page as me. And assuming, Mm -hmm. we all know that saying, sometimes (laughs) it doesn't work out, right? Like, we don't know nothing about what's going on in partner's brain, right? And so, and they don't know what we're thinking. And so having those conversations, you might think you don't need to have, usually you need to have them. And so sitting down making a plan on support, making a plan on how um, partner can be involved from the very beginning really helps build that strong foundation of avoiding the crushing load that gets placed on one parent, most often the mom, you know, and who can just like, this is too much, you know, from day one. But if we're avoiding that from day one and really having those conversations and understanding how partner can support you and how you can support them and how they want to build this relationship with their new baby, it's so, so important. And because they're going through their own version of postpartum too, which is really important for us to understand. Yeah. And having those conversations can really be the key to yeah. avoiding postpartum arguments and resentment and all those things that can really start fracturing our relationship, which should be the foundation of our family. Right. I mean, I feel like it's pretty make or break. (laughs) I I agree with you, Jesse. I remember feeling so prepared before Mm -hmm. I went to the hospital and I did all the things and I made the food and I got my pump clean and whatever. Yeah. Remember the first time sitting down and holding her in my arms and looking around and thinking, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is what, there a return you, policy? Like, yes, I don't yes, want to have a return policy, but is there one? Is because there? I don't know if I'm really ready for this. Like, oh, God. Yeah. That's your metamorphosis, right? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. are pre-pregnancy and then during yes. pregnancy and what you come out after it, you are a completely different woman totally in good, bad and ugly and you should allow it. Right. But yeah, I agree. That conversation is critical. Yeah, absolutely. And it's critical yep. long-term, right? That yes. you and your, your spouse or your partner mm-hmm. are on the same page. That's incredibly critical as your children age too, right? They need to have that united front um, as as parents and caregivers, that's not only makes them feel secure, right, in, in their life and um, with their caregivers, but it's just important overall. It can be very confusing to children yes. long term if parents are not on the same page. Um, and so if you start day one, it's something that you can continue doing because it is extremely critical from the very beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And really modeling that relationship that you hope for for your children, you know, down the line and showing them what a healthy relationship is and what a healthy communication pathway looks like. And even if there is argument and there is, you know, miscommunication or, you know, you don't completely agree, you're showing them how to sit down and have that conversation and work it out. And then coming back to them as a united front, like you said, Lindsay, is so, so important. And we don't think about that as new parents, right? We just think about, okay, 
here's how you can support me during the birth. A lot of times we have those conversations. Sometimes we don't and we need to have those too. But, you know, as a part of the birthing process, we go through the classes together. We take the Lamaze classes or hypno babies or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. we're doing all these things. There's nothing like that for after we bring baby home that's as readily available. And so really understanding how you're going to work as a team so that you can turn toward one another instead of away from each other when things get really hard is so important. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to briefly talk about, because I know we're getting close, um, not too close to time, but we're really getting into it because we just have such (laughs) great conversations. I love this, um, that we're all just so on the same page. But, um, you know, laying healthy sleep foundations, you know, you talked about that briefly in the beginning and how that's so important. And I think that that's a really – broad topic, right? Because there's a lot of things that 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 could mean, right? And one of the things that we've worked on in a collaboration in the past was really talking about how to create like a environment in which you can have baby be safe, have their own sleep space, mm-hmm. encourage that sleep, laying those foundations, while also thinking about your own recovery and having this postpartum sanctuary built before baby arrives. And I think that that's something that is so important that not many of us think about because we think about decorating the nursery. We think about getting all the cute things on the walls, you know, and mm-hmm. what crib sets we want and what mobile we want in the room and all these cute things, which I'm not saying don't do that. That's fun. That makes yeah. it exciting. Right. But mm-hmm. don't forget about your own recovery and the actual function of having baby those first few months, because Maybe that whole big separate space isn't what most likely is not what your baby is going to need. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just like give a little bit of tips as far as like setting up that space for the very beginning and what that kind of looks like um, from the baby's perspective. And then I can kind of chime in to what we could talk about for you and your recovery. I think that would be really beneficial. Yeah, I agree with you. I I personally didn't use our nursery until week three which is early for a lot yeah, of clients really early yeah. um we started doing naps once a day in the nursery oh, every yeah. other sleep was either in the bassinet in the bedroom so i would say definitely have a safe sleep area mm-hmm. in your bedroom for night sleep yeah. and making sure you understand what those safe sleep areas are right yes. that is best a firm flat mattress a fitted sheet no additional soft items in the bed, no baby loungers or baby nests in there that are softer. It's firm for a reason, right? There's no neck control that we need them to not move and accidentally roll or get into a space where they have positional asphyxiation or smothering. So again, firm, flat, mattress. <laughs> and then I would definitely say making sure that you have anything that you need to tend to them from your bed, whether that's during the day or the night. So diapers, wipes, maybe a, a good nose, Frida, to suck out some of those bugs, yep. <laughs> <Some> clothing, <laughs> um, and just making sure that it's within arm's reach of where mom is going to be, mm-hmm. especially because We can plan for the best birth, but sometimes we end up doing something where we have a harder recovery for one reason or another. So making it easy for mom to get to baby and the supplies that she needs 
And then I would also suggest having some sort of backup sheet or mm-hmm. um, waterproof situation <laughs> because spills happen, whether they're puking from baby or mm-hmm. leaning over and leaning. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of liquids that happen in that first year. Yes. There certainly yes. are a lot of liquids. Mm-hmm. So maybe looking at some waterproof options as well for under that fitted sheet. Um, and then I would also suggest some sort of ambient lighting for nighttime. Mm, yes. So that way you don't have to get up and turn on this terrible overhead bright yeah. light that none of us want. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really great products out there. We love the hatch. We also mm-hmm. love that little egg that you tap on and it creates mm-hmm. that warm glow in that room. But choose some ambient lighting. So sunsetty colors, red, orange, mm-hmm. gold. Mm. And that can help you feed baby easily in the night. Yeah. Yes, I love that. And the data has shown that room sharing really mm-hmm. ideally for six months, even to a year, does mm-hmm. reduce the risk of SIDS. So yes. it's something that the AAP suggests. It's something that we suggest here at Parenting Practice. Um, and there's a lot of importance in that. But that's the concept of room sharing, not bed sharing. So we do like to make that differentiation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, in terms of what Paige was saying, when you are going down for the night, I think it's important to have an environment that is calm, that is quiet, that is dark, right? If we are going to be using light, it's going to be the colors that Paige mentioned, because we want to set the stage that this is a place for sleep. And so we want our night times, right, to look different than our day times. And one yes. of the best ways to help a child develop their circadian rhythm is by establishing a really nice set of 12 hours of nighttime and 12 mm-hmm. hours of daytime. So during that nighttime, we want to be moving slowly. We want to have the lights off. We want it to be calm, quiet. Of course, we also do love white noise, so that's an option mm-hmm. too. But yep. we want to have an environment, right, that is really conducive for sleep so that baby understands this is sleep, this is rest time, daytime looks a little bit different. Um, And also temperature is a big deal, right? So anywhere between 71, 68 degrees is what we're looking for. I think a lot of times parents are worried about babies getting cold. They're very, my baby's going to be cold, where in fact overheating actually Mm -hmm. can be something that is um, one of the risk factors for SIDS. So we want to be aware of the environment and the temperature. We always want to dress baby, at least in that first year, with one more layer than we ourselves mm. are wearing. So things like that, too, can really just be important to setting up a nice environment that's conducive to sleep. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an informative and fun conversation with you guys. I always love when we can get together. Um, Like I mentioned, we have a collaboration that you guys can check out. I created a fourth trimester guide that's all about creating your sanctuary after Mm -hmm. um, before baby arrives so that your postpartum is smoother. Um, And you can get that on Paige and Lindsay's website. And if you wouldn't mind, could you guys just share how people can get connected with you? Yeah, so we're on all social media, also our website. So Instagram is Parenting Practice CO. You can click our link in our bio and get to our website and our blog and all that fun stuff. But that's the easiest place to find us is over on Instagram. 
Perfect. Well, thank you guys again so much. And for all of you beautiful life creators out there listening today, remember that empowering postpartum coaching guides new and pregnant moms through the transition into motherhood so that they can bond with baby without sacrificing their own self-care. So shoot me a DM on Instagram as well. My handle's up there, empowering postpartum, and we can chat and see how I can help you. And remember, this show can be heard on the Spanglish Radio Network. For all the news and programming, please check out spanglishworld.ca. Spanglish World, watch it, hear it, read it, download it, and